0: Welcome to the Linglestown Life podcast, where our community seeks to love God and love others. Here you'll find timely teachings, important conversations, and encouraging devotionals to improve your life and help you deepen your faith. In this week's sermon, Pastor George preaches about the pain of regret and how to deal with it. This sermon was originally preached on October sixteenth, 2022 at Linglestown Life. I'm going to read this morning from Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. This is uh, the word of David, and he says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. How often do you look back on your life and wish you had done things differently. In a survey, only 1% of respondents in the survey answered never, just 1%. But a whopping 82% say that this activity, this idea of going back in your mind and thinking about how you might have done something differently well, it, it, it's at least occasionally part of their lives 82 percent of the time. How about you? Probably probably very similar. As Dan Pink notes, that makes Americans far more likely to experience regret than they are to floss their teeth. Just something for you to consider, OK? In another study, regret was found to be the most common negative emotion think about that the most common negative emotion is regret and the second and regret is the second most common emotion of any the only emotion that's often mentioned that's mentioned more often is the emotion of love so it seems like love and regret love and regret So it seems to say easily that to live is to accumulate at least some regret in life. But the good news is that along with our regret, all of us have a superpower. Do you know you have a superpower? You really do, okay? Now, you probably don't have a big S on your chest or something like that, but you have a superpower, And it's known as counterfactual thinking. It's it's not hard. I mean, counterfactual thinking. Okay? You do it every day. Okay? Just, Just think of the first word, counterfactual. Counter to the facts. Okay? Counterfactual thinking. That's your superpower. And we all have it. It's one of the things that sets us apart from the rest of the animal world. Counterfactual thinking is just what it sounds like. It's the ability to think counter to the actual facts as we know them. And this superpower is what enables us to contemplate how an alternative, well, how an alternative could have been worse. You know, you probably said this when you were in high school, sure, Sure, I got a C on the exam, but at least I, I passed a course and I don't have to take it again. See, you've all been doing counterfactual thinking for ages and you didn't know you did that, right? Or, or maybe the alternative could have gone better in your life. You know, Again, thinking about school, because education is one of those big things that, that we have regrets over if only I had attended class more often and done all the reading, I'd have gotten a much better grade. So, if you were ever in school and ever said that, you know what counterfactual thinking is. That's our superpower. And what it does is it allows us to transform our regrets into the motivation to learn and to grow from our past. It enables us to learn and to grow from our past. Now, over the last two weeks, we, we've been talking about how these regrets are really transformative in our lives, how there's no need to be ashamed of anything in our past. Rather, rather we, we talked about this last week. So if you remember, God calls us to... Uh, nobody remembers. Uh, it's terrible. To resist the shame and to embrace the grace. Ah, there, now it comes back, right? To resist the shame and embrace the grace. Uh, just a, a quick note. My, my friend who lives in Seattle was watching last week, and he said, I watched three different church services. And he said, I remembered your message because of your hand motions. So, Okay. Just remember that. It's the hand motions that will help you to remember, okay? Uh, so while we, while we talked about that, the question is what you do with the pain, what you do with the pain, and it's a very real pain, that oftentimes comes with regret. Because the reality is that, that just embracing grace, just embracing grace doesn't wipe away our memories and repenting of our past actions doesn't make the harm we caused any less harmful so this week this week what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what we do with the pain of regret What do we do with the pain of regret? Well, we're going to start with this passage of scripture that we we just read because it's written by a man who knew what regret was all about. King David. David was a man after God's own heart. Okay? We think about David as this great man of faith. But if you really think about it, he had a lot of regrets in his life. Okay, And when you read through the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms that you're reading are Psalms of David's regret. Most notably, the things that David regretted in his life would have been committing adultery with Bathsheba, having her husband murdered to cover up the adultery. That's just a whole mess of things, right? So he's a guy who definitely would have practiced Counterfactual thinking. What if? If only? Think about that. In Psalm 32, we hear his strategy for coping with the pain. He says, I tried, I tried what? I tried hiding from you, God. We talked about this last week, right? About how Adam and Eve tried to hide in the garden after they ate the fruit okay and we i just really want to remind you when we said that they were hiding last week god was running around the garden saying where are you not because he was angry but because he loved adam and eve he wanted them to resist the shame and embrace the grace okay Uh, David in this psalm, you know, he he tells us that he pretended that none of it ever happened, but that didn't work very well for him because he says, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. And then in verse 5, it says, finally, finally, if you've ever been at that point, you know what he means here. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and you forgave me you've probably heard the phrase confession is good for the soul and i would agree and i think david would agree with us as well it's true because he speaks from from firsthand experience in the psalm and he says if we're completely honest with god we find forgiveness and joy when we're completely honest with god we find forgiveness and joy and and there is a lot of biblical and psychological truth there and and the adages that you've heard all life all of your life long are are so true um like this confession is good for the soul and honesty is the best policy in the New Testament, in First John chapter one, verse nine, not the Gospel of John, but in, in the epistles of John, further back in the New Testament. First John chapter one, verses eight and nine, it, it confirms that living a lie is not living at all. It says this. <coughs> it says, "If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth." But if we, say this word with me, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Okay? Just let those words sort of sit there with you for a moment. If we claim we have no sin, um, just fill the word regret in there. Not that regrets and sin are always the same thing, but just think about that. If we claim we don't have any regrets, we're fooling ourselves. Right? We're fooling ourselves. Okay? But if we we confess, if we're honest about those regrets, God is faithful and just to forgive. We're going to talk about that whole idea of forgiveness in just a second. I'm sure you all know from personal experience um, how hard it is to keep up a lie. I, I'm sure none of you lie now as adults, but bet when you were a little kid, you, you did. And you told maybe your mom or your dad or somebody like that, you told a lie. The hardest thing about telling a lie is that you have to keep the facts. Well, you have to keep the details straight, right? I mean, when you tell a lie, you sort of have to start making the lie the truth. And and, and that's where lies start to begin to break down. And after a while, if you continue the, with that lie, that your conscience starts to work away at you, convicting you, Convicting you of your lie and convincing you that you're going to get caught, and soon you start having sleepless nights and eventually estranged relationships, it just just feels like a burden, right? And the weight of that burden begins to be suffocating. But then, but then when you get it off your chest, when you confess, when you come clean, how do you feel? Backside might have hurt a little bit, too, as a kid, but you know, that's a whole nother topic for another day. Now, it doesn't always have to be confession. See, sometimes our regrets often lead to, well, to put it in a simple way, self-loathing. Anybody ever do any self-loathing, you know? You just sort of make yourself feel bad about yourself. OK? feel bad about what might have been even in these cases the simple act of retelling what happened can be very cathartic for us very healing psychologists have learned that when someone retells or relives their moment of regret all of a sudden their their regrets lose some of their power psychologists eventually learned that what god said was true right Uh, Journaling is also known to be particularly powerful when it comes to reliving and retelling those moments of regret. In one study, when participants processed their regrets by writing or talking into a tape recorder for 15 minutes a day, their overall life satisfaction and well-being were substantially improved. See, retelling the story... Has a way of neutralizing the pain. Plus, the evidence goes on to show that when we when we share, when we share these stories with a friend or a small group of friends, it, it builds up our, our bonds of friendship. And rather than just trigger judgment or pity or squeamishness, our retelling usually creates affinity because, because in it we see someone going through the same things that we experience in life have you ever found that to be true in your life suddenly when you when you start opening up and talking about about the things in your life that it brings people sharing things from their own life sort of a a great reminder of what James writes about James chapter 5 verse 16 James said this he says confess your sins to one another I was talking about this in our our Bible study on Tuesday night, and I, I said, you know, we'd probably all do better if we could learn to confess to one another. But we don't like to do that. Because as we were talking about last Tuesday, we were talking about failure. None of us want to be a failure. So none of us want to confess our sins to one another. And yet, James tells us that if we confess our sins to one another, we will be healed. That might make some people run out of the church because they don't wanna confess their sins to one another. And yet it is one of the greatest things we can do because it brings healing to us and brings healing to our relationships. Confession is good for the soul and honesty is the best policy. And when we learn to retell the story, it neutralizes the pain. Uh, But the benefits don't stop there. After we retell the story, now it's important to reframe the story. It's important to reframe the story. Have you ever noticed noticed that in a conversation with your friends, they can can really do this well? They can really reframe things well for you? Um, If you start to share with your friends something that you regret in your life, they come back to you and say something like, you know, you were so strong in that moment. Or, or, or that was really painful, and yet look how you've grown. See, that's just simply a way of reframing what we've experienced, especially with our regrets. You see, with, with every story we tell ourselves, we tell it from one point of view. We see it from our point of view. And, and usually what that means is that we, we, we tell it from the point of view that makes us feel the way we want to feel. And in some stories, that's to make us the hero. And in most of our regrets, what it is, is it doesn't make us a hero. It makes us a worm. It makes us feel bad because of what we've done. And we say to ourselves, well, I deserve it. But you see, when you have a friend, when you have a true friend, our friends have the ability to bring some perspective to our regrets. So how can we, how can we reframe this experience in the same way they might see it? Okay? Daniel Pink suggests that we consider asking one of two questions here. They're on your sermon outline. He says, if, and here's the one. If a friend came to you with the same regret, what would you tell them? You know, think about that. What would you tell somebody else if they were telling you your same regret? You might tell them, well, hey, see how things worked out? See what you learned in the process? a whole host of things we might tell somebody who shares the same kind of regret. Why don't we listen to what we're saying to other people? Second question he says, does this regret mark an unpleasant moment or does it define your life? Imagine it's 10 years from now and you're looking back with pride. What did you do? What did that regret change about who you are today. So one of the things we need to learn to do is simply reframe our regret to see it from a friend's perspective. We need to learn to reframe the regret so that we see it from a friend's perspective. That's why that's why community is so important. This can really help put things in perspective. It's sort of like We talked about last week about about the the, the skeletons in our closet needing to be exposed to the light of day. Okay? Those skeletons aren't really the monsters that we think they are. We just need to expose them to the light. And, And once you learn to retell and to reframe the regrets of your life, then there's only one more thing we need to learn to do, and that is to release them, to release them. And and, and sometimes when we think about it, it helps to release our regrets with just a little at least prayer, an at least prayer. Um, Think about it this way. What's the silver lining? Okay? What What can we thank God for? I thank God that I had to spend the afternoon with my grandkids yesterday. Therefore, I didn't have to watch the Penn State game. Just just a little, you know, at least I didn't have to endure that, okay? I had something else to do. No, Um, think about this, you know. Thank you, God. I regret buying this car, but at least it's a safe car, okay? Okay. Thank you, God, I I regret not going to that school, but at least, at least I met my wife. You know, there's there's a million and one things that we can say as an at least prayer. And what we need to learn to do is to release our regrets with that little at least prayer. Now, the reality is, I bet for most of us, we have retold and reframed our stories several times over. We've retold and reframed our stories several times over, but let me ask you this. Have you released have you released that regret by thanking God for the blessing that is in your midst today? I thank you, God, or thank you, God. I, I, I regret this but at least this. I want you to just take a few moments to think about how how you'd complete that sentence. Thank you, God. I I regret this experience. I I regret this choice, but at least... See, sometimes we just need to, to release those things from our life. To recognize that that in some way we have been transformed by the regrets of our past. As we learn to retell and reframe and release, those are the keys to seeing our regrets through the superpower of counterfactual thinking. How How did David end that psalm? And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. I, I think we get our counterfactual thinking superpowers from God. If you read Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12. Which is the writer of Hebrews quoting Jeremiah chapter 31. Where God speaks. God says this. I will forgive and remember their sins no more. See, God practices counterfactual thinking. He he doesn't keep thinking about what if and if only. God forgives and moves on. I will forgive and remember their sins no more. God thinks differently about us than we actually think about ourselves. So, we need to learn that we have a superpower. It's a superpower that not only can we practice for ourselves, but that we can share with others who need to know that, whatever regret it is that they have in their life, God is faithful to forgive. And when we learn to release that and not bottle it up inside, well, that's how our regrets can move us forward and transform our lives. So, where is forgiveness and freedom? waiting for you today as you learn to retell and reframe and to release your regrets so that you can be free. Join me in a word of prayer. Thank you for joining us on the Linglestown Life podcast. If this message was meaningful to you, we hope you will leave a review and share it with others. If you want to know more about our church, or would like to attend a service or community event, find out more on www.lingostownlife.org. God bless you, and may you go forth and love God and love others.